Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 133. It's September 2nd, 2015. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, with the markets in full correction, we obviously have a lot to talk about in this episode. And so what I'd like to focus on, instead of talking about specifically what's going on in the market or specifically what stocks you should be in and out of or things like that, I'd like to focus on what you're learning from this correction. Now, we haven't had a move like this in the market for quite a long time. Many investors were getting complacent. People have seen their portfolios grow, and a lot of people have just thought that they're as good of an investor as Warren Buffett. And that's why I think we've seen a lot in this in this uh, recent years with people in the stock market. They thought because they made 10% returns last year or 30% returns the year before, it was because they had superior investment skills. And the bottom line was that they only made that because that was the performance of the overall market. Well, this year, the market's in correction. Most of the indices are down at least 10%. So, hey, how are you doing right now? What are you learning from this correction and what can you take away from it? Not only so that you can perform better in the coming weeks and months, but so that overall you can become a better investor and build your net worth. Well, that's what we're going to focus on in this episode. It's really going to be a time for reflection and to see what you've learned from this market. Before we get into the main topic, I do want to mention that we're fortunate to have in our listening audience Matthew from My Thai Coffee. Many of you are very familiar with My Thai Coffee, so I won't do a big introduction there. I will say, though, if you're not familiar with them and you are looking for a unique coffee with a very special blend, then do check out MyThaiCoffee.com. Matthew has made a very generous offer for a promotion on this podcast to give away two 14-ounce bags. And that's going to be the special blend as well as their very popular honey process. So in order to be in the drawing for these two free bags of Mai Tai Coffee, all you need to do is to be a subscriber of the blog over at investablewealth.com and then to tell me that you want to be involved in it so that I know not to send this to somebody that isn't interested in coffee. Nothing more complicated than that. If you received that last blog post, you already know about it, then you replied back. If you didn't receive the blog post because you're not on the subscription list, well, then get over to investablewealth.com. All you need to do to subscribe is to put in your email address. There's no charge for the service. I don't spam you. You'll simply get the notice and the content whenever I write an article or put out a blog over at investablewealth.com. There's a lot of good information there. You should be on the list anyways. So the way the raffle will work is anybody that's replied back to me and said that they want to be in the drawing, they'll be in there. And then anybody that between now and this Sunday night that, that subscribes uh, for the first time at investablewealth.com will also be in the drawing. I'll probably do that drawing like Monday morning and I'll announce the winner here in the podcast. So the winner of the drawing will receive two 14-ounce bags of Mai Tai coffee. That's honey process and special blend. And you'll have your choice to either have that uh, ground or in whole bean form. So Matthew's been very generous. We appreciate him sharing that coffee with us. And by the way, full disclosure here, I'm not a coffee drinker, so I can't tell you from personal experience that Mai Tai coffee is delicious, but I will tell you this. Everybody that I've talked to that has tried it, uh, they rave about the coffee. They really love it. If you're a coffee drinker, I'm sure you'll love it too. So good luck to everybody that enters the contest. Now let's get on to the main topic of today's episode. The markets are down at least 10%. How's your portfolio doing? Did you follow my lead earlier in the year and take profits and move mostly in cash? Or did you think that your portfolio was diversified enough and, and that you could uh, survive through this downtrend? Or maybe you didn't think there'd be a downtrend at all. Well, how's that working out for you? 
Some of you that have diversified portfolios, you know, I've heard from you and you're surprised at how much money you've lost. You thought that those biotech stocks or those really good quality dividend paying stocks that you had, that they were going to be able to weather the storm, that they would be unaffected by any type of pullback or correction because, uh, you know, you're hearing the media say that there's no chance of recession in the U.S. And uh, so you're just surprised and you thought that you were diversified, but it turns out that you're not. Well, chalk that up as a learning experience. Markets can pull back and correct whether we're in a recession or not. Now, as I look around at the, at the global slowdown, I see many markets in recession. Japan's in recession. Just this week, Canada announced that they're, they're in recession now. Europe's been hovering on the brink of, of going into a recession. The exporting and uh, economies that are based on commodities like Australia, New Zealand, Malaysia, many of those are on the, on the borderline of recession because of the slowdown in China and the, and the overall lack of growth that we're seeing coming out of India. But here in the U.S., we're still in pretty good shape. And so a lot of people felt that there was some type of uh, dislocation or, or non-linkage between the global economy and the United States stock market. That's simply not the case. And you've seen that play out here over the last three weeks. The stock market can still go down even if the overall economy appears to be healthy. The other thing I'd like to point out here is that we're only in a very mild correction right now. The S&P 500, more or less, is down about 10% from its highs. That counts as an official correction, and I know that since many of you have not have not uh, experienced this in the past or because it's been over six years since you've really seen a good pullback in the markets, you've perhaps forgotten how painful or how sharply they can come. But do realize, this is only 10%. It's very natural. It's very normal for a stock market to ebb and flow like this. So just because it's been like since 2011, since we've seen anything major like this happen, don't think that that these past few years have been the normal. The normal is that we get these type of corrections about every 18 months or so. They're healthy, they're good, and I'm not saying that you should buy and hold and sit through them. In fact, you know my philosophy on swing trading. In fact, if you're new to the Wellsteading Podcast, you might want to go back and start listening sometime in March of 2015. That's when I really started selling and getting out of my equities. Now, I got out early and I took a lot of heat from many of you, particularly in uh, like May or June when the markets were hitting all-time highs. And people were saying to me, well, hey, you're missing the opportunity. You're sitting in cash. You're not receiving any type of interest or dividends. You know, why are you doing that? Well, the bottom line is, you know, I can't time the market. I can't know exactly when to get in and get out, but I can look at the market and I can see when it appears to be uh, that the market is overheated, when the market seems to be at too high of a valuation. And I can't time it down to the exact day or minute or hour, but I was able to time it within a few months, and I'm happy with that. As we went into this correction, the vast majority of my clients' portfolios were in cash. They were, uh, for the most part, maybe 50% in cash. The other 50% invested directly in the in the U.S. dollar. And then just about four weeks ago, I, I took a small position, a 5 to a 10% position in Walmart. And that was a bad decision. Um, I don't regret buying Walmart. I only regret that I bought it at, at the time I did. I think if I'd have waited two weeks, it would have turned out to be a really good trade. So I was two weeks too early on, on Walmart. Um, I, as If you'll go back and read my blogs and listen to what I said, though, I did mention that it was a high risk, that I was moving into this ahead of earnings. And I did that because if the market had held up and if Walmart would have had a decent earnings announcement, we would have seen that stock probably pop up, you know, 10 to 15%. 
Well, it wasn't a good earnings announcement, and then we went into a market correction, and so consequently, I've seen Walmart turn the other way. It's down 10 to 12% since I purchased it. I chose not to sell it, though, because it was a very small percentage of my portfolio, uh, no more than, say, 5 to 10%. I like Walmart for the long term. They're one of the stocks that I look at that, it, that has a good business model. They pay a solid dividend, and I believe, even though I, I bought in about two weeks too early, I still don't think we paid too much because I purchased that at about a, uh, I believe it was a 14 times valuation. So 14 times future earnings. Again, you can't time things 100%. And while now it's trading for maybe, you know, 13 and a half times earnings, I had no crystal ball or no way of knowing that the stock was going to draw to drop to that much of a value. And so it's like when you purchase anything else and you later see it on sale. Well, there's no sense in getting buyer's remorse or anything with it. If you're happy with the purchase, if you think you got it for a good value, then you hold on to it. And that's what I intend to do with Walmart. I believe that within the next 12 months, that stock will be trading at a multiple of 15 to 17 times earnings. And so I'm going to stick with it. But that's a big lesson learned there, okay? I bought it two weeks too early. So timing is everything. And as I mentioned with my position to move into cash earlier this year, again, timing is everything. I was too early, but I didn't suffer for that. I was able to lock in profits that were made uh, early in first quarter of 2015 and then definitely had locked in the profits in mid-December going into the new year. And so although I didn't profit from maybe the 4 or 5% that the market was up in, in May or June, I'm definitely not suffering through the 10% or so loss that the S&P is going through right now. So key lesson that you should be taking away from this correction is, is what is your exit strategy and what type of risk management strategies are you employing? And speaking of exit strategies and risk management, let me divert a little bit here and talk about stop losses. Now, I did a blog post on this a couple, I don't know, I think it was a week ago, maybe two weeks ago. So you can, if you didn't read that, you can look over at investablewealth.com. It was called Flash Crash Hazard of Stop Loss Orders. Now I won't go into it on a lot of detail here because it's in the article, but many of you are under the misconception that just because you have a stop loss order in that you're going to be protected in the event that the bottom falls out of your stock. And that's simply not the case. Now utilizing a stop loss order, that will uh, get you out of a downtrend if we go into one. But you'll have no guarantee on what your sell price is. Stop loss orders are executed as market orders. That's one of the things that drove the flash crash that we saw on August 24th. And that took place in not only individual stocks, but in exchange traded funds as well. And these were not lightly traded, you know, penny stocks or anything like that. These were very high rated exchange traded funds and individual stocks. Many of them plunged at least 10%, some of them as much as 20 or 30%. They plunged in the first 20 to 30 minutes that the market opened, and then they recovered later in the day. And this took place because I believe that many people either had uh, just sell orders to be executed that Monday morning, or they had stop-loss orders that many people have come to rely on. Now, this is the kind of thing where you can tell your broker to, you know, sell my stock if it, if it drops below 5% or whatever number you may give them. You can give a dollar a number or you can you can give a, a, a trailing percentage. So people are under the misconception that because they do that, they're going to be protected in the event of a correction. But that's not the case. In fact, what is more likely to happen is that you're going to be involved in a flash crash that took place on that Monday 
And that's what occurs when not only your order, but everybody else's order gets executed because some fear and some panic has set in and they all go in as market orders and the, and the buyers dry up. No one is there to purchase the stock. And so the price falls out just like uh, someone pulling a, a rug out from under you. If you have more sellers than you have buyers, you get into this, uh, this liquidity problem and the price can drop easily 10 to 30% or even more in just a few minutes. And again, we saw that across the board, um, highly rated stocks like Procter & Gamble, a stock that's considered to be a very strong uh, dividend paying company that has a, a very low beta rating and, you know, very uh, stable and, and stodgy type company, a very blue chip company. Well, P&G was down about nine and a half percent on interday trade on August 24th, and it was just its own little mini flash crash. So there should be a lesson that you learn in this correction as well. You can't rely on stop losses to get you out of a market correction. You have to see this stuff ahead of time. And again, that's why I went to cash earlier in the year. I know that I couldn't perfectly time it. And I knew that something like a stop loss order wasn't going to save me if it came along. So hopefully you weren't relying on stop loss orders. But if you were, chalk that up as a lesson learned in this correction. The other thing I'd like to point out about this correction is that it is a correction. And, and the correction is a term that actually means what it says. It's one of the few things in the financial industry or maybe in society at large where you can really derive the, the meaning of the word to, to, um, to explain what it is. A market correction means that the market is being corrected back to its true value, right? That's why we call it a correction. It means that the market got overheated. The valuations on the S&P 500 were well above 17 times earnings. It's, it, in fact, at some points earlier in the year and into last year, they were up at like 19 or 20 times earnings. Now, again, no one can time the market, but you can look at that and you can say that people are paying too much, that there's irrational exuberance, that these markets have, are getting ahead of themselves. And although earnings seem to be strong, the people are still too optimistic and they're paying too much. And so individual stocks and stock indexes get overvalued. And what happens when something's overvalued? There's what we call a market correction like we're in right now, where the prices decrease to reflect the true value of the stock. And that's what we're seeing. Nothing's changed in this market fundamentally for the last six months. In fact, you can go back and read some of the things that I was saying in 2013 and 2014 about, about the overall global slowdown, the problems in China, and how this was going to be acting as, as a headwind and as a ceiling on our stock market here in the U.S. In fact, in 2014, I was getting pretty pessimistic, and it wasn't until I started seeing a decrease in the cost of energy that I really started to be getting optimistic. You see, when I saw gasoline prices coming down, I realized that that would be an opportunity for some sectors of the economy to be to be benefited. And that's why if you go back to um, like fourth quarter of 2014, I was heavily invested in the transportation sector. But then we saw that market get too overheated as well. And I moved out of it. So the takeaway, the learning that I want you to have from this correction is that corrections mean exactly what they say. A correction occurs because the market gets too overvalued. And if earnings don't come up, then that means that prices have to come down. So the fundamentals don't have to change. The economy doesn't have to go into a recession for prices to correct. And that's exactly what we're seeing right now. Again, the fundamentals have not changed. I have a chart that I put up over on the website, investablewealth.com. This blog was called Despite Correction, 
market is at fair value. Take a look at that graphic, and that's where I try and illustrate what I'm talking about right now. The market was overpriced when it was trading at 21.30 on the S&P 500. At that point, it was trading for something in the range of uh, over 17 times earnings. Well, that was just too high. We know that for the S&P 500, historically, you know, it can fluctuate, but more or less, you can say that a reasonable return or a reasonable valuation would be about 16 times earnings. Well, right now, forward earnings on the S&P 500 are projected to be about $124. So if you multiply 16 times 124, you'll come up with 1984. That's 1,984. That's about where the S&P 500 should be trading at to be at a fair value of 16 times earnings. Today, as I record this podcast, the S&P 500 closed at 1948. So we're a little bit below, but very close to that magic number of 1984, which would be fair value for the S&P 500. You see, the market didn't drop 10% over these last few weeks because the economy suddenly changed or because fundamentals changed. The stock price is simply corrected to, to where fair value should be. So it isn't right now that prices are undervalued. It's that two, three weeks ago, a couple months ago, the prices were overvalued. And if you were owning then or you were buying then, you were paying too much for your stocks. It's just like when you go to a department store and you pay full retail price. You're generally paying too much. You're paying at a full overvalue. Well, right now, the S&P 500 is sitting about where it should be. Now, that doesn't mean that you should necessarily be running out right now, loading up on stocks. But if you did, you would at least be buying at a rational level and you'd be buying it at about a historical norm. Now, the concern is, is that fundamentals are getting worse and that we're going to see future stock prices go even lower. But again, no one has a crystal ball. So we can't be certain that the slowdown in China or the recession in Canada or the recession in Japan, that those things are going to have a direct impact on the U.S. economy enough to bring our stock market down further. You can make some pretty good assumptions that that, that may be the case, and that's the direction that I'm leaning. And so that's why I'm not buying in at this point. But certainly for people that are buying right now, you are buying at a reasonable valuation. You would be buying at about a fair value for the S&P 500. Do you want to get a better deal than that? Well, maybe if you hold on for a few weeks or a, a month or so, you might see that as the market becomes more undervalued. Last week when we had that flash crash, uh, the interday lows got down around that 15 times earnings or maybe even a little, a little less than that. So that definitely puts the, the market in a undervalued situation. Certainly, if you can buy into a quality stock or buy into the S&P 500 at a valuation of under 15, so, so, you know, 14 and a half or 14 and three quarters or even all the way down to something like a 13 times earnings. Well, from a historical standpoint and from a valuation standpoint, that's an excellent opportunity. So for right now, I'm continuing to keep my powder dry. I'm waiting to see if fundamentals do change. If the depression that we're seeing right now with uh, the depressed commodity prices and with the slowdown primarily uh, in Asia and, and very much affecting all the export-driven economies, I'm waiting to see what kind of a spillover effect that has on the U.S. stock market. And trust me, if we start seeing countries and individual companies uh, having large defaults and being unable to pay on the debt that's incurred because they borrowed too much money to build a factory that's now operating in a lower capacity, or they borrowed too much money to, uh, to, 
to pursue a, a mine to get iron ore or copper, and now the price on that has come down over 50%, and they can't make enough money to have cash flow to pay off the loans. Or if it's like an oil company that, again, took out too much of a loan or too much of a payment, and now because oil prices have come down, they're no longer able to have the cash flow to be able to make those payments. If we start seeing those type of defaults, and they will occur in the, the economies and companies and countries that are based primarily on exports and commodities, that will be the straw that breaks the camel's back, and that will put us into a global recession, uh, perhaps currency crises and financial defaults. If that's the case, depending upon the severity of it, you will see the U.S. stock market drop well beyond the lows that we saw here just in the past week or two. So I'm not necessarily holding out for that. I don't know that that's what's going to happen. But again, for now, I am keeping my powder dry, and I'm remaining primarily in cash. And while we're talking about cash, let me one more time talk about uh, my investment in the U.S. dollar. I get a lot of questions about that. People don't understand when I talk about investing in a currency versus just having my money in cash dollars. So when I talk about being long the U.S. dollar or being invested in the actual currency of the United States, I'm talking about owning an exchange-traded fund that invests um, in the U.S. dollar where it's valued against a, a basket of currencies. One of those ETFs that I use has the ticker symbol UUP. That's Uniform Uniform Papa. There are others out there. I do invest in some other ones, but that's the largest and the most liquid, and that's the one I tend to put most of my investments in. The reason that I chose to do this over these past months when I was worried about a possible correction in the market was that I believed that it offered less downside than the S&P 500, but yet still offered some type of an upside should things not fall apart in the economy. So in a way, I was hedging my cash bets. So I had, at one time, I had 100% of my money just in cash. I was just in a money market fund. That money was not being put to work in terms of being paid a dividend or getting any type of interest. It was not having any type of appreciation. And so I took half of that and I moved it into an ETF like UUP that would invest in the U.S. dollar. And as other currencies go down, as the yen goes down or as the euro goes down or as the Canadian or Australian dollar, as they move down, the U.S. dollar becomes more valuable and it moves up. And that's how you get appreciation. The way I saw the problems that these export countries were going to be having and the way I saw Japan and China and Europe continuing to print money at a time when our Federal Reserve was tightening up, that led me to believe that the U.S. dollar would be a better investment class for holding its value. Okay, Not that the value wouldn't go down, but that if it did go down, if we got into some type of a crisis, it may pull back, it may come down. But where the S&P 500 would have been likely to drop 10, 15, 20%, I felt that the U.S. dollar would only drop, you know, 2 or 3, maybe 5%. So I was hedging my bets, thinking that I had some type of a floor underneath my investment. And then at the same time, if things did improve, if things got better, even though I wasn't invested in stocks, I would still get some appreciation from the half of my investment that was invested in the U.S. dollar because the dollar keeps going up not only as uh, as our stock market goes up and as the strength of the U.S. economy improves, but also as a result of all these other countries devaluating their currencies. So I thought that if things continued to go well and I was wrong about a correction, I could still make maybe 5% of my money. If we did go into a correction, 
there'd be less of a downside in the U.S. dollar than what would be experienced in the S&P 500. I think that's something that you can learn from this correction. It was a good strategy, and it's paid off. The U.S. dollar right now is trading about what I paid for it uh, going back, I don't remember, maybe three months ago. I've continued to hold that position because even though the stock market is corrected and although um, my investment in the dollar came down in absolute terms because it had gone up, I had had as much as maybe 2.5% or more return on it. Well, that got wiped out over these past three weeks as we've seen the market correct, but it's basically taken me back to where I've started from. So I'm preserving my value. The U.S. dollar is trading about its 200-day moving average, which is a very good position to be in for a currency. It has strength at that level. And then its overall relative strength against the S&P 500 has held up extremely well. If you go over to Yahoo Finance or Google Finance, whatever website you prefer, and you pull up a chart of the U.S. dollar, you can use UUP and compare that over the last month with the performance of the S&P 500. And you'll understand what I mean about the dollar holding its value. The most that the dollar has lost in the last month occurred just about a day or so before the markets hit their lowest point. And that UUP uh, exchange traded fund was down on that day at about 5% from what it had been the previous, you know, 30 days over the, over that month period. Well, since then, the dollar's recovered. And over the last 30 days, it's actually only down about uh, maybe one and a half percent. Okay, and this is at the same time that the S&P 500 over the last 30 days is down over 7%. That's as of today. On its worst day, uh, back a week or so ago, it was down over 11%. So not only has the value of the U.S. dollar been less volatile, it has been a very good means for preserving wealth through this correction. And that's why I continue to hold it because, again, I believe as we see these other countries moving into recession and their central banks stepping in, intervening to devaluate their currencies, which is the only thing they can do to remain competitive, then in the future weeks and months, we're going to see the, U the strength of the U.S. dollar appreciate. But I have to have a disclaimer here. It's important for me to always remind you. I'm just giving you my opinion. I have no idea what's best for you or what you should be investing in. I don't have a crystal ball. I can't predict the future. Investing in the U.S. dollar, just like any investment, carries a lot of risk. And that's where I want to finish out our episode today is, is about risk. Hopefully, during this correction, you've learned what your risk tolerance is. And you're learning that very popular stocks like Facebook or like Google, that they can correct, that their stock prices can drop 10 and 15%. And hopefully you're learning that large blue chip stocks that pay a great dividend, that they too, during times of correction, those stock prices will come down and you can lose money on them. And all the hot biotech stocks, well, again, during a correction, they all pull back. Some of those really high flying and highly rated stocks that everybody was so excited about just six weeks ago, well, many of those stocks are down over 30% right now. So hopefully that's something you've learned about. There is risk in the stock market. And that's why it's important that you have a plan and an exit strategy and don't sit around and hope that, uh, you know, a buy and hold strategy is going to get your money back. Now, over the long run, it will. But the question is always, how long of a term is it? People that lost money in 2008 in the S&P 500 had to wait, uh, was it close to five years to get their money back? People that lost money in the NASDAQ during the dot-com bubble had to wait 15 years to get their money back. And that was not inflation adjusted. So that's why I'm not a proponent of buy and hold. That's why I like taking cash positions and moving out of stocks when I feel that the market gets too overvalued. 
And that's why it's important that I think you have to have an exit strategy. And so the last example I'll give you today, and this is also an article that I posted over at the blog at investablewealth.com. This was entitled Close.Oil Short. What I want to point out here is that I've been believing for a long time that oil prices are in a secular downtrend and that we're going to see lower oil prices for a long time. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast for the last year or so, you know that's what I've been talking about. And you know that it wasn't only an opinion, but that I also had taken positions on it. Back in uh, April, I believe around April 21st, was when I'd, I'd shorted oil for the most recent time period. And I held that position all the way up through uh, just last week. Now, the point I want to bring out here is about an exit strategy. I still believe that overall, we're going to be seeing lower oil prices, primarily because of the overall global slowdown, as well as the oversupply that we have in oil right now. Despite the fact that that's my opinion and that that's my conviction, I still sold my oil short last week. Well, why did I do it? Because I had an exit strategy. My plan was to hold that short until oil broke above its 10-day moving average. After it broke above that 10-day moving average, my plan was to sell the short and lock in my profits. And that's exactly what I did. You can go over to investablewealth.com. I have a graph on there. I have a chart on there that, that outlines that short position. It shows how for the last 44 trading sessions, the price of oil had remained below its 10-day moving average. That was the personality of that commodity. That's what I was gauging and basing market conditions on, was how well the price of oil traded in relation to its 10-day moving average. And you can see on that chart where I have laid out for 44 trading sessions, when oil would spike up, it would just come up to that 10-day moving average, and then the price would fall apart and it would go back down. And it kept making lower highs and lower lows, and consequently, that's why I held my oil short and why it was very profitable. But last week when it broke above that 10-day moving average, even though I think the long-term future for the price of oil is going to be going down and not going up, I still sold my position and I locked in my profits. I didn't want to be smarter than the market, right? I didn't want to argue with where prices were going. Just because I think I have a rational reason for where I think oil prices can be forecast at, the market was telling me that they were going higher and it didn't care what I believed. And if I wanted to hold on to my profits, I needed to exit that position. And that's exactly what I did. And for those of you that have asked, no, I am not planning on shorting oil again anytime in the immediate future. And here's why. Back in April, when I first bought into my short position, oil was up in the $60, $65 range. And my forecast or my speculation was that oil could go down into the low 30s. And so that was a very good trade in terms of risk reward. Oil's up in the $60, $65 range. I believe it could drop maybe down into the low 30s. So that made sense. I thought it was likelier to go to 30 than I thought it was to go to 90. So good risk reward strategy. Right now, with oil in the mid 40s, if I still think it's likely to go into the 30s, well, that's not enough of an incentive to jump back into an oil short because you see how volatile it is. You see that over a period of just two or three days, the price of oil can spike up or down as much as 25%. If you get on the wrong side of that trade, you can get wiped out. I'm willing to take that risk if I think that I have a wide a range of opportunities on the downside. And that's what I had when oil was at 60 or $65, and I thought it could go down into the 40s or $30 range. But when oil's just in the 40s, and I think that maybe it can drop another 5 to 
well, there's just not enough of a cushion there. There's not enough room uh, for a margin of error to be able to profit from it if, in fact, you're wrong. And the problem with oil, and this is something I want to stress, and you heard me say numerous times over the past few months, that I took out an oil short with my own personal money. I did not invest client money in, in an oil short position because I felt it was too risky. And the reason for that, particularly the, the reason that we've had over these past few months, is that oil is always extremely volatile on the upside. If there's ever a problem in the Middle East, if there's ever any type of a disruption in supply, if, uh, you know, if a refinery is taken offline or there's an oil spill in the ocean or there's a disruption on, on a pipeline somewhere anywhere in the world, then the price of oil overnight can spike up easily 25, 75% just in a few days time. And so from that risk strategy, you want to be very conservative when you're shorting oil. Over the long run, oil prices almost always go up, but they only go down over very short periods of time. And so that's why I didn't commit any of my client money to shorting oil. I was taking a very conservative approach. Now, at some point, when I believe that commodities have flattened out, that they've consolidated and that they're in an uptrend, I will go long on oil and maybe I won't invest directly uh, with client money in, in oil directly, but I will and I do plan on investing in the energy sector for the long run. Good quality stocks like ExxonMobil. They have a bright future. Those companies are very profitable. They pay an excellent dividend. At some point, I will most likely take a long position in those stocks. Right now, again, I'm keeping my powder dry. I think there's still more downside. And so I'm avoiding that sector, but I am watching it closely and I'm anxious to get in and get some good deals on stocks like Halliburton and ExxonMobil and Chevron. So on that note, we'll close out this episode. I want to reiterate that the market has corrected. At this point, it's come down to about a fair valuation. It's not the end of the world. We're not going into some type of a, a global meltdown or an economic collapse. This is an opportunity and this is a time for you to be studying the correction to understand what you might have done wrong so that in the future you can improve your trading strategies and your overall investment approach. Hopefully you're in a good cash position now and you'll be ready to take advantage to uptrends in the market that may be coming in the, in the future days and weeks and months. And I look forward to being here to report to you about my observations and commentary when this market does start to turn around. So as always, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best of returns.